Well, good morning, Stonebridge. As Wayne said, my name is Morris. My friends call me Mo, and it's always an honor to stand in for Michael, obviously. Today, I wish he weren't uh, in pain, but he will be back on his feet very soon, and so I'm glad to uh, step in and fill in for him. And this morning, hopefully, we're just going to have a good time around the Word. I've selected a passage, and I just want us to have, hopefully, just a, a, a good informal Bible study around this passage. But to kick things off, I want to tell you of a recent experience, just very mundane, you can relate to. I took my car into one of these express oil change places, and uh, they're servicing my car. And while I'm waiting, I look up on the wall, and there's this big poster that referred to the company's core values. And it had eight or ten different bullet points. I can't recite them all, but a few of them went something like this. Every customer is important to us. Secondly, every customer's car is important to him or to her. Therefore, we will treat the car as if it were our own. Thirdly, every customer works hard for his or her money. Therefore, we're going to treat our customers honestly and fairly. And I have to admit, I was very, very impressed that an oil change place would have core company values on the wall. And I have to hand it to them, at least for that day, for that service, they lived up to their values. It was wonderful service. And as I'm sitting there waiting, of course, I had to give it a little spiritual twist. And so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, this is really challenging to me. My car is going to be traded in or sold or discarded in a few years. This thing is temporary, and yet they have core values for my temporary car. And I like to think of myself as a godly person, and so I wanted to ask myself, can I articulate core values that will guide my behavior? And as a minister in the body of Christ, can I articulate values that will guide my service in the body of Christ? They had them on the wall. Could I tick them off like that? See, let's think about this. See, we are members of the body of Christ at large. And we are participants in this local expression of the body of Christ that we call Stonebridge Bible Church. Now, I want to ask you as a fellow participant, can you articulate core values that will guide the ministry that you personally have been called to and that we corporately have been called to in Stonebridge Bible Church? Are there a set of core values or beliefs you say, yeah, these are keeping me on the road? Well, that's the question that's on the table this morning. And hopefully we can get some answers. Not from me, but we're going to get some answers from arguably the greatest theologian in the church, the Apostle Paul. So I want you to turn, if you will, to the book of Colossians or tap on your phone or your tablet. The book of Colossians. Now, uh, a few Sundays ago, our, when we were going through Philippians, I heard Michael talk about the four little letters there, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And he Offered up the little ditty, go eat popcorn to help you uh, remember those. When I was a freshman in college, I was in a Bible study and I was fumbling through. I couldn't find the book. And one of the participants said, hey, Mo, 
Just remember, General Electric Power Company, okay? So you can have that one or go eat popcorn, whatever uh, helps you right there. So Colossians. Now, while you're getting there, let me very quickly set the stage for you, especially if you are new to the Bible. Now, Jesus has been raised from the dead. He spent 40 days on the earth after his resurrection. Then he ascended back to heaven. And after his ascension, his disciples, his followers, were now sharing the good news of the resurrection. They're sharing the gospel. They're planting churches. People are being saved. And one person in the first century who was a persecutor of the church was a man by the name of Saul. But the Lord personally appeared to him, and he is radically converted. And so Paul the persecutor now becomes Paul the preacher. And so Paul travels the Roman Empire preaching the good news, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People are being saved. Churches are being established. Now, one of the places that Paul set up shop was in the city of Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. And he spent a couple of years there. And from Ephesus, he would send out ministry teams, preaching teams, and they would go into their surrounding areas preaching the good news. And a town that was semi-close to Ephesus was a town, a city called Colossae. Paul had never personally been there, but he had sent people there to preach. And so again, people in Colossae were saved. A church was established, and they're growing in the Lord. Now, fast forward a few years. Paul finds himself in jail in Rome. And he gets word from the Colossian church that things are not all well. Some false teachers had crept into the church. And basically what they were teaching is this. Have you begun with Christ? Wonderful. That's a good starting point, but you need more. Christ is not sufficient. You need to add to Jesus X, Y, Z. And Paul said, "Uh uh-uh. That's not going to fly. And so he fired off a letter that we call Colossians. And basically in Colossians, Paul is saying Christ is sufficient and you and I are complete in Jesus. So there's great doctrine, there's great theology in the book of Colossians. But in the midst of this great doctrine, Paul sort of pulls back the curtain of his personal life and he allows us to see into his heart some of his values his core values for ministry, if you will. It's a very personal word that Paul is sharing about his ministry. And that's the paragraph that we're going to look at. In the midst of great theology, Paul's going to give us insight into his beliefs that guide his ministry. So let's pick up the reading in chapter 1, verse number 24. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, 
striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So again, a personal insight into Paul's ministry, and I want to share with you six core values that I believe Paul held, and I want to suggest that these core values would serve us well also as, as individuals and also as participants in the body of Christ. So very, very simple, just a Bible study straight through this passage looking at core values. Okay, core value number one, Paul says that he suffers joyfully the afflictions of Christ. Now let's look again at verse number 24. Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings. I want you to note here that Paul is suffering. He is in jail in Rome. And he says, secondly, he is rejoicing in his sufferings. Now, as Michael taught us as we went through Philippians, joy is not an emotion that's just up and down here and there. It's an attitude based on the sovereignty of God, that our faith is rooted in his sovereignty. So regardless of what's going on around us, we can be hopeful. We can be optimistic. We can be joyful. And so Paul is saying, yes, I'm suffering. I'm in jail in Rome, but I am rejoicing. Now, the third thing I want you to notice about this, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I want you to underscore that. Paul says, I am suffering for your sake. Now, Paul is in jail in Rome. Hundreds of miles away, we have Gentile Christians in Colossae, and Paul says, I'm suffering for your sake. Now, how is this possible? Now, what we need to ask to answer that question is, why was Paul in jail to begin with? Now, if we go to Colossians 4, don't worry about turning there, but he says, I am imprisoned because I am speaking the mystery of Christ. Now, part of the mystery of Christ, as we're going to see, is that God brought Gentiles into the family and placed them on equal standing, equal footing with Jews. So, in the body of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We have equal access to the Father through Jesus. That's part of the mystery. Now, we get further insight into why Paul is in jail in Rome. If we go back to Acts 22, because Paul is in Jerusalem, and this is where he is arrested. And so, Paul is standing before his Jewish countrymen, and he's testifying. He is telling them how he was a Jew of the Jews, and how he persecuted the way, the church, but how Jesus appeared to him, and he was miraculously converted. Now, Luke and Acts says that his countrymen were listening intently to him until Paul said this. And he said, Then Jesus appeared to me and told me that I was to go to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said that, his Jewish countrymen rose up and said, This man is not fit to live. Away with him. And he was arrested, and then subsequently he found his way in jail in Rome. Now, I want you to get this. Why was Paul in jail? In one sense, to be blunt, why was he in jail in Rome? Because he couldn't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> he had to speak the mystery. He had to speak the gospel. Now remember, the Colossians here are primarily Gentile. And he is suffering for their sake because he is preaching the mystery, as we're going to see, the gospel, which says Jew and Gentile come by faith. And we are then on equal footing before the Father in Jesus. And so, all Paul had to do, all he had to do was stay quiet. 
He could have gotten saved, spent time in the desert receiving revelation, getting caught up into third heaven and seeing things that can't be uttered in words. That's all he had to do, just enjoy the Father. But he couldn't keep his mouth shut. As a result, he suffered. And notice what else he says. He says in verse number 24, In my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul says, in my suffering, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, just reading that on the surface, boy, that sounds a little... This word affliction is not referring to Jesus' sufferings on the cross. That took care of sin. It is finished, paid in full. That is peculiar to Jesus. There is nothing to add to that. This word affliction is not referring to his work on the cross. It's referring to the trouble that he experienced for righteousness' sake, for truth's sake. And one time in John 8, Jesus is talking to people and they wanted to rise up and kill him. And Jesus said, why are you killing me? I'm just a man telling you the truth. Why do you want to kill me? Now, I want to ask you something. Did Jesus experience all the suffering there is to suffer for truth's sake? When Jesus went back to heaven, did that end all the suffering that anyone would ever experience for righteousness' sake or truth's sake? No. Jesus told us before he left, he said, listen, they hate me. Get ready, they're going to hate you. In this world, you're going to have suffering, tribulation, difficulty. Hey, rejoice when people curse you and persecute you and revile you for my name's sake. Do you see what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, one of the core values that I live by is I am prepared to suffer joyfully the afflictions of Jesus Christ. I am prepared to take my turn in suffering. Jesus suffered, the apostles suffered, and countless untold people have suffered for Christendom through the ages. Now the question is, are you and I ready to take our turn at the plate? Are we ready to step up to the plate and take our turn at the bat and say, yes, I am willing to suffer joyfully the afflictions of Jesus Christ? That's a core value here. And see, this is very, very important. We don't need to belabor this point because you know, and we talk about it a lot here at Stonebridge, you can't turn on the news today without hearing about a coach, a teacher, a business person, a politician taking a stand for Christ and being persecuted for it. Now, I know this is a silly illustration here, but I think it will make the point. Let's just say there's a group of 10 people right here. All of them non-believers. Don't know Jesus. Now, you and I have a choice to make. We're saved. We know the truth. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, we can be quiet. Not say a word. You know what's going to happen? None of these ten will hear the gospel. But none of these ten will persecute us, ridicule us. Or we can speak the truth in love. And some of these people will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But not all. You know what some of them are going to do? 
ridicule you, persecute you. How dare you tell me that Jesus is the only way? How dare you tell me that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father? Who do you think you are? You narrow-minded, bigoted, legalistic, religious zealot. How dare you? So, you going to be quiet and not have to deal with that? Or are you going to say, I'm willing to suffer the afflictions of Christ if the situation calls for it? And let me tell you, in today's world, it's called for. If you and I say we don't want to suffer for Jesus, sort of like an oxymoron. That's the first core value. We're willing to suffer joyfully the afflictions of Christ. The second core value that I see Paul delineating here that I think we need to adopt is we need to see clearly the body of Christ. Now, this is almost hidden here, but you got to read slowly here. Verse 24, back to 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church. Paul said, I'm willing to suffer for his body, which is the church. Now, a few verses earlier in verse number 18, Paul explicitly stated, Jesus is the head and the church is his body. Now, let's just camp out here for a sec. As you read through Paul's letters, Paul saw a oneness, a unity between Jesus and his church. And this oneness, this union is so intimate. Paul says, Jesus is the head and the church is the body. In other words, they are inseparable. Now, just think about our human body. It's obvious. We have a head and we have a body. You, we can't separate the head from the body and have life. They got to go together. We don't have heads walking around here. We don't have headless bodies walking around here. It's a connection. It's a oneness. Paul says, when I'm suffering for the church, I'm suffering for Jesus' body. We have to understand the connection between the church and Jesus. Let me just share a few verses with you that just blow me away that we really can think about. Over in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, Paul said, He who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. He who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, we think Paul's offering marital counseling because he's talking about husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives. And he says, therefore, in the midst of that, he quotes scripture, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. Husbands, leave your father and mother, cleave unto your wife, husband, wife, become one flesh. That's wonderful. We quote it in every marriage ceremony. But in the next breath, Paul says, hang on, this mystery is great but I'm actually referring to Christ and his church. You see, in Ephesians 5, we thought Paul was giving marriage counseling. No, 
He's talking about Christ and his church. There is a oneness. And when Paul got saved in Acts 9, remember, he's out persecuting Christians, imprisoning them. And Jesus appears to Paul. And there's a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's persecuting Christians. Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul says, Lord, who are you? And Jesus said, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Isn't that amazing? You persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus. You say, Mo, that's, that's some profound theology and doctrine, you know, you get a 4-0 in theology. What, what does that have to do with anything? It's so practical. Because, let me just be blunt. I know I get on your nerves sometimes. You get on my nerves sometimes. But we're part of the body. Years ago, I had a friend tell me, he said, Mo, you know, I would really like the church if it weren't for all the people. <laughs> sort of like that old ditty goes, to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, <laughs> well, that's a different story. <laughs> you see, it's very easy, if we're not careful, and I'm at the top of the list, it's very easy to say, give me Jesus. But I want to disconnect from his body. I want to disconnect from his church. That's like saying I want to just be connected to a head but not a body. You see, it just doesn't work that way. Now again, another silly illustration. I'm on the edge of the platform. I know I always stand right there on the edge and get excited. One of these days I'm going to come tumbling off. But let's just say one of those days happened. And I fell right here on the floor. And let's say I cut my head and I cut my arm. And you were rightly concerned, so you rush up with a few Band-Aids and you say, Hey, Mo, here's a Band-Aid for your head. I say, Thank you. I'm bleeding on my arm. And you said, oh, well, you're on your own for your arm. Can't offer any help there. You see, that's what we're basically saying when we say, give me Jesus, but you can keep the church. It's a package deal. See, I don't know if this is good news or bad news for you, but when you got Jesus, you got me. And when I got Jesus, I got you. Paul saw that intimacy between Jesus the head and the church, the body. You can't separate them. That's why he says, when I'm suffering for the church, I'm suffering for Jesus. And I think Jesus had some word to say about this over in Matthew 25 when he talked about, hey, when you've given a cup of water and visited people in prison and clothed people, you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. There's a strong application there. Do you see the core value? The core value is we are connected to the head, but we also know we're connected to the body. Core value number three, we will serve faithfully as stewards. Okay, 
I want you to notice verse number 25. Paul says, of this church, now remember, the body of Christ, of this church, the body of Christ, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Okay, Paul uses a couple words here. Minister and stewardship, okay? Minister is literally servant, the one who waits tables. He said, of this church, for the body, I was made a minister, a servant. Do you see Paul's core value here? We'll get to stewardship, but let's just focus on the word minister or servant. For this church, I was made a servant. Now, I want you to think with me who just said that? Paul said that. The Apostle Paul. The one who went out into the desert and received direct revelation from the Lord. Paul, the one who was caught up into the third heaven to see things that are unutterable. Paul, the greatest theologian the church has ever known. Paul, the greatest missionary church planter the world has ever known. This Paul said in the church, I wait tables. I'm a servant. Do you see his mindset? If anyone, based on human achievement should, quote, be elevated in the church, it's Paul. Paul said, listen, I'm a servant. I'm just doing what I've been called to do. That is a huge core value. And I won't get on my soapbox too much right here. But I'm concerned, and I've seen it going on for several years now, in the broader body of Christ, that certain People are elevated almost to celebrity status. And when that happens to teachers, preachers, whomever, it is very, very dangerous. I was talking to, in fact, I was with him up in the Northeast a while back, a, a, a pastor friend I'd gone up to speak for him. And while we're visiting, he said, Mo, I had invited a particular speaker to the church to come as a guest. And the person said, yes, I will be happy to come, but here are my requirements for coming. And he said, would you believe that one of his requirements for coming was to be picked up at the airport in a Mercedes limousine? Thankfully, my buddy said, no, thank you. And I said, God bless you. And I said, listen, let me just set the record straight. The next time I'm up here speaking for you, you do not have to pick me up in a Mercedes limousine. I said, any kind of limousine will be fine with me. <laughs> Paul referred to himself as a servant. Now, I don't want to embarrass him. Michael, I hope you're uh, able to be watching right now. But I've known Michael for uh, 15, 18 years. And you may have heard Wayne or Michael talk about that I'm, I'm privileged to be the trainer for Logos Bible software. 
And so my wife and I for years and years would travel around and set up a mobile computer lab in schools and churches and we would teach people how to study the Bible with Logos Bible software. And I had met Michael in one of our seminaries or seminars and he had invited us to his church when he was at Springfield. Virginia, Emanuel Bible Church, and large church, quote, Michael is a mega church pastor there. And back in those days, most people did not have laptops. And so my wife and I traveled with 50 laptops, all these things in Pelican cases. We had projectors, electrical cords. It was quite a production to set up. And when we arrived at Emanuel Bible Church with all of this stuff, guess who was right in the mix helping us? with the equipment, and helping us set up. Michael. When we got back to the hotel, Cindy, my wife, looked at me, and she said, that was quite refreshing, wasn't it? I said, it was very refreshing. And you know how Michael carries himself. He tells us. She's told me a gazillion times. He's told you. Stonebridge is not about me. It's about growing up the body of Christ. That's the value. That's the mindset. And Michael is modeling that. He's modeling what Peter said. Elders, don't lord over the flock. You're accountable to the great shepherd. The great shepherd owns the sheep. Okay? And so Paul said, just view me as a servant doing what I've been called to do. But then he uses this word stewardship. Again, go back to verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Now, the word stewardship literally means house law. It is the way the owner of the property would manage his affairs. And large, wealthy people would have stewards. And they would entrust the stewards with certain responsibilities to do on behalf of the owner. Now, keep in mind, the steward owned nothing. The steward served at the pleasure of the owner. The steward should not be just walking around like this is his stuff and that he has authority in and of himself. The only authority and the only responsibility he has was that which was delegated to him. And Paul said, I am a servant because of the stewardship from God for you. See, Paul understood this vertical, horizontal thing. We minister toward each other, for each other, but the stewardship is from God. God owns the church. He's the great shepherd. He entrusts us with gifts. He entrusts us with responsibilities, and we serve one another, but the stewardship, the authority, the responsibility, all delegated from the Lord. Do you understand the privilege it is to serve in the body of Christ? Now, I'll be honest with you. It took me a while to get this. I'm 60 years old now, but when I was a freshman in college, 20 years old, I was studying accounting, had great plans for business, and I was trying to be a baseball player. But in my junior year, I just really sensed the Lord had a different direction for my life. And so I switched colleges, went to Bible college, began pursuing a theology degree and so on, ended up becoming a preacher. Now, I hate to admit this, but we're family. In those early days in my 20s, I never said this, but I sure thought it. 
I'm just alone with the Lord in my quiet time, and I would think, Lord, you sure got lucky when you got me. <laughs> it's a wonder he didn't just strike me dead right there. <laughs> now, hopefully, over 40 years, I've matured a little bit. But here's what I've discovered. The same grace that saves us is the same grace that deposits gifts in us and allows us to serve his body. Service is not a drudgery. It is a privilege. We are serving at the pleasure of the great shepherd, and he has privileged us by entrusting responsibility and gifts to us. That's a value. We serve faithfully as stewards of Jesus Christ. The fourth core value, and this one is the biggie, we are to speak openly the mystery of Christ. I love what Paul does here, and so I just want you to stay with me here. All right, back to verse 25. He says, I am a servant, a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Paul, what specifically is the stewardship? He tells us in verse 25, the stewardship, so that I might fully carry out, carry out the preaching of the Word of God. Paul, what is the stewardship that God entrusted to you? To fully preach the Word of God. Okay, Paul, what specifically is the Word that you are preaching? Look at verse number 26. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints. Now, when you read the word mystery in the New Testament, it's not a Sherlock Holmes who done it. It's simply something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed. That's why he said in past generations they didn't know this, but now we know it. All right, notice his flow. I have received a stewardship. Paul, what is your stewardship? To fully preach the Word of God. What Word of God are you talking about? It is the mystery. Paul, what is the mystery you are talking about? Verse 26. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but now has been manifested to his saints. Here it is. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is. Wait for it. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, this is exciting here. Do you see the flow? I have been made a servant according to the stewardship given me. What's your stewardship, Paul? To fully preach the Word of God. What's the Word you're preaching, Paul? It is the mystery. Well, what is the mystery that you are preaching? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ in you. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Equal standing, equal footing. Christ in you. When the Bible says that Christ is in us, that is not just a fancy, cute way of saying we're saved and going to heaven. When the New Testament talks about Christ in us, that's exactly what it means. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, so much happens, but one of the things that happens is the Spirit of Christ penetrates our bodies and penetrates our spirit and is now in us as surely as He was in His own body that was born of Mary and baptized by John and beaten by the Romans. Christ in you, Paul says. Why is He in us? He is our hope, our confidence, our surety, our certainty of glory. 
Oh, let's talk about this word glory. This is a great word. All right. Glory is the sum total of God's attributes. God's grace plus God's mercy plus God's love plus God's peace plus everything else about God equals God's glory. And in Ephesians 1.17, Paul refers to God the Father as the Father of all glory. The Father is the source of glory. He is the source of this life of love and grace and mercy and all the rest. And God created us to share in this life. God created us to receive his glorious life and then manifest it. God created us to be holy as he is holy, to love as he loves, to show grace as he shows grace and all the rest. But I don't know about you, but I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 and fallen short of the glory of God. Do you see it? God is the Father of glory. He created you. He created me to share in this life, but we have sinned and fallen short of His glory. Is that the end of the story? Oh, no. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1:14, and we beheld His glory. Jesus Christ comes to this earth as the God-man, and he is manifesting the glory of God. Jesus loves as the Father loves. He is patient as the Father is patient. He is holy as the Father is holy. And then this marvelous thing happens. Jesus, full of glory, condescends upon our profession of faith to take up residence in you and in me. He is our hope, our surety, our confidence of glory. That's not just glory in the by and by. That's glory right now. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, with unveiled faces we have beheld his glory. And we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory to glory. Is that not the most incredible thing? What do we do with good news like this? Paul says, we proclaim him. We promote him. We publicize him. We share the good news. This is absolutely incredible. Paul says, one of my core values is I have recognized that I am a servant given a stewardship, and the stewardship is to fully preach the Word of God, which is the mystery that was not in the Old Testament but now has been revealed in the New Testament. Jew and Gentile alike, based on their faith, the Spirit of Christ comes to live within them and from the inside out transforms them from glory to glory to glory. We can't help but promote Him, proclaim Him, Paul says. That is fantastic. That is a core value. Do you see from beginning to end, start to finish, and everything in between, ministry is all about Jesus. All about Jesus. Several years ago, I was listening to an interview with a, quote, popular pastor and prolific author. I'll not name names, but it wouldn't take an Einstein to figure it out. And the interviewer, the interviewer said, I read your book and you don't mention the word Jesus in your book. 
And the pastor slash author said, well, I am called to help people live out the Christian life. So I don't need to mention Jesus. And I don't have many hairs left, but I just wanted to pull the few out that I still have. We're called to help people live the Christian life, but we're not going to mention Christ? That's insane. It's crazy. The Christian life from beginning to end, start to finish, and everything in the middle is Jesus. That's it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And one of the things that I love about Stonebridge is we sing Jesus. We preach Jesus. We teach Jesus. That is right out of Colossians 1 right here. And I want you to know, unfortunately, that's not always the case across our country. I've got a good friend who travels for a living, so he's gone on the road a lot, and he visits a lot of churches. So through the years as he's visited churches, he's told me, he says, I have developed the Jesus test. When he first told me about this, I said, so what's the Jesus test? He said, I go into a service and I watch my watch. I want to see how long it takes in the service before the name Jesus is mentioned. He said, Mo, you would be shocked. He said, I have been in some services. I go through the whole service. His name is never mentioned. Not in song, not in word, not in testimony. But he has it down. He bases the maturity of the church on how long it takes <laughs> to mention Jesus. But he's right. He's absolutely right. So the core value is we speak openly, unashamedly, Jesus, Christ in us, our hope of glory. All right, two more. The fifth one is we need to strategically purpose to present people mature in Christ. Now, drop down to verse 29. Paul says, for this purpose, for this purpose, what purpose? Paul has a purpose. Paul has a goal for this purpose. Go back to verse number 28. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Paul says, my purpose, my goal in ministry is to present every man, every person mature in Jesus Christ. Paul said, that's why I labor. That's why I toil, to present every person mature in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to ask you a couple quick questions here. Do you know one of the reasons God saved you? To make you like his son, Jesus. In Romans 8, verse 29... Paul says, we have been predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that Jesus will be the firstborn of many brethren. One of the reasons God laid hold of you is to transform you into the image of his son. God wants you to think like Jesus. He wants you to act like Jesus. He wants you to be holy like Jesus. God laid hold of us for one, one of the reasons is to conform us to the image of His Son. Now, how does He do that? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, so that we all grow up to a mature person. 
so that we grow up to the full stature of Jesus Christ. God laid hold of us to conform us to the image of His Son, and one of the ways that He produces that process in us, He places us in the midst of a body so that we can tend to each other and grow each other up. That's Paul's strategy. And did you see, he tells us how he did it. He said, we have to admonish people and we have to teach people. Now, this word admonishment has a, a connotation of warning. It means to warn. It means to caution. It means, hey, you're not thinking right. Hey, you're going down the wrong road. And then teaching, hey, this is right thinking. Hey, this is the right road. I want to tell you something. That's not popular. You want to get in trouble today? You want to suffer the sufferings of Christ? Just stand up and say, this is wrong and this is the way to do it. Name something wrong and then name its right counterpart. But that's what Paul's doing. I have a coach friend and I was talking to him recently. He said, Mo, you would not believe over the last few years how many athletes I've been working with who say, coach, don't tell us what we're doing wrong. Just be positive. I can't even imagine saying that to a couple of my coaches that I've had through the years. They would show me the door. Okay? That's part of coaching. That's part of growing up. I've got a nephew. He says, Mo, all of our problems in this country started when we started handing out participation ribbons for athletics. I said, Jamie, I think you're on to something there, buddy. All right? We have to be admonished. Hey, Mo, that's not right thinking. That's not right acting. It's not that you hate me. It's, you're doing it in love. But hey, Mo, you need a little correction here. Hey, here's the teaching. That's what Paul's saying. And what's the goal? To present people mature in Christ. And so we can evaluate things at Stonebridge by simply asking this question. Is this program, is this plan, is this, is that, is that helping to mature people in Jesus? If it is... Full speed ahead. If it's not, let's pull the brakes. Okay? That's what Paul's saying. And then let's close and Paul says, hey, this is a lofty goal. I can't pull this off on my own. And so we've got to strive mightily with the power of Christ. This is great. A fitting bookend for this paragraph. Paul says, for this purpose, that is presenting people mature in Christ, I labor. That means work to the point of exhaustion. That's all he had to say and we would have gotten his point. I am laboring to the point of exhaustion to present people mature in Christ. But he didn't stop there. He said, I labor striving. Striving is an athletic term. It means to agonize as an athlete. Now, he could have stopped there and we would have gotten it. Paul, you're laboring and you're striving. We got it. But he didn't stop right there. He said, I'm laboring and striving according to his power. The word literally means energy. I'm laboring and striving, not in my own strength, but according to his energy. He could have stopped and we would have gotten the point. But he didn't even stop right there. According to his energy, which mightily works within me. See the word works? It's the verb form of the word power. Here's what he said. He said, I am laboring and striving according to his energy, which is energizing me. And he could have stopped there. But for good measure, he threw in one more word. I'm laboring and striving according to his energy, which energizes me mightily. Paul is just reaching for words and descriptions. He's making a point. The point is, this is a lofty goal and purpose up here. And if you and I try to pull it off in our own strength, we're going to get tired and we're going to fail miserably. We've got to plug in to the indwelling Jesus Christ by faith and allow him to sustain us. 
I don't think Paul was running around all jacked up on Mountain Dew and Rockstar and all that. I think he had a faith in the indwelling Jesus Christ, and he was just steady, Eddie, and times were tough, but he was moving on. I think that's what he's talking about right here. All I'm saying to you is this. God has gifted you some way, somehow, to serve in the body of Christ. He has gifted me to serve in the body of Christ. We are arms, we are hands, we are ankles, we are toes, whatever we are. And we are going to grow ourselves up and we are going to serve in the world as you and I each do, does our part in the body of Christ. But we can't do it in our own strength. By faith, we've got to plug in to this supernatural sustaining energy that Paul speaks of right here. So Wayne mentioned the 10 things about Stonebridge. I've given you six core values for ministry. What I'd like to suggest to you this week sometime, take these six core values, take those 10 things about Stonebridge, pray through them, see how you plug in. But I'm telling you, we've got to have a set of core beliefs to guard and keep our behavior and attitudes on track. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the insight into Paul's ministry, his belief system, and what motivates him. And Father, we thank you for the grace that has saved us. We thank you for the grace that has gifted us. And we pray, Lord, that by faith we will recognize those gifts, and by faith we will plug into the energy that you supply to activate those gifts so that we can serve faithfully this world and serve faithfully to the body of Christ. Father, we commit this word to you. We ask you to protect it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you and God bless.